Today, I want to share with you guys one more of the I am's. We have done I am the bread. We have done I am the light. We have done I am the gate and good shepherd. So we've covered four of the seven I am's of Jesus. And as we barrel closer towards Good Friday and Easter, I want us to continue to see the glorious picture of how beautiful Jesus is. We are all about seeing Jesus this season, every season. We just really want to behold our Savior in every way possible, with every possible metaphor that he used to describe himself for us to be able to capture. So today we are looking at John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Everybody say, I am the resurrection. Everybody say, I can see your faces. I am the resurrection and I am the life, right? He, say, he doesn't just say, I am the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life, right? So, so a little bit of context, okay? So if you really think about, uh, about the I am's, you really see how they are actually sandwiched right into the middle of the Gospel of John. So from, from the bread, and then people leave him, and then there is opposition, and then he says, I am the light. The opposition uh, 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 cranks up. You see the example of the shepherds of Israel uh, 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 mistreating this, this blind man who was healed. And finally, you see what kind of shepherds Israel has. You know, not finally, that would be seeing it but you see how, how how dark is that shepherding how unshepherd like are their shepherds which leads you right through the horrible chapter 9 you know where they are fighting with Jesus and you reach chapter 10 where Jesus chastises the shepherds of Israel and says I myself will shepherd the sheep I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. I am the gatekeeper. You throw that man out of the temple, but I open my doors to him. You don't get to throw people out of the kingdom. I choose who gets thrown out of the kingdom. And then almost as if, I mean, he doesn't say it in these words, but it's as if Jesus says, I throw you shepherds of Israel out of my kingdom. And it's so fierce, it's so heavy, and very soon after this, Lazarus, brother of Mary and Martha, who all live in Bethany, dies. And so we're going to jump into the text today in John chapter 11. And there's a lot of text, so I'm going to summarize some sections, and then we'll read some sections as well. Oh, I believe there's a Karen who's new. Yeah, hello, hello, good to see you here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Okay, let's get into John chapter 11. You know, the context of this is that over in Bethany, okay, Jesus has, has a trio of friends. They are siblings, okay, um, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus and Lazarus. No, it's okay. We can go to the go to the text. Go to the text. Okay. And and Lazarus falls sick in Bethany. So I've given you the text on the left hand of the screen. That is so that you can check me out and you know I'm not I I am not preaching heresy. Okay. But the summary on the right. I just want to breeze through those dot points. So Lazarus falls sick. The news travels from Bethany to wherever Jesus is, okay? Now, it's likely that he's in Jerusalem because he was just at the 
temple uh, uh, um, um, saying I'm the light of the world and then that fiasco there, okay? But news travels to Jesus and when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is extremely sick, he stays back for two more days. Now, it, the text does not actively say that he stayed back purposely for two more days or that he was he had the, the trip was his time there was planned for two more days or that or, or, or that he was held out for two more days we don't know but he stays back for two more days during which time Lazarus dies okay during which time Lazarus dies and then he tells his disciples that guys Lazarus is now dead this is now really silly you know but but there is more, right? So we'll just go to the next, the, the next verse. Chapter 11, verses 17 onwards. This is the part that I'm going to read, okay? Um, now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So two days plus travel time. By the time Jesus gets to Bethany, he realized, he tells them that, I mean, it's, he's already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. By the way, if you guys are, uh, you, you, you know your Bibles, you will see immediately this pair of siblings, their pattern remains the same. Martha is always the one who's getting up, doing things. Mary is always the one that's depicted seated down and, uh, and kind of resting. In this case, seated down and grieving. And Martha is probably the one who's uh, looking after the guests, making sure everyone has drinks and, and, and all that. So it's super consistent with every other uh, depiction of Mary and Martha as well. I love that about the Bible. Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She ran out to meet Jesus. Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, if only you were here. Remember two extra days? Lord, if only you were here, my brother would not have died. But even now, so this Martha's faith levels are like fire and on so high because she says, even now I know whatever you ask from God, even though my brother is dead, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Wow. So what does, so what does, what does Jesus say in response to this? Verse 23, we're going to see on the next slide. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. On the last day, he will be raised again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus points this question to Martha. Do you believe this? So I'm going to ask you, what is the this that Jesus is asking here? Do you believe this? I suspect that the this here refers to I am the resurrection and I am the life. And if you live, believe in me, though you die, you shall not truly die. This refers to that, right? But interestingly, Martha's answer, it's not quite where you expect the conversation to go. Martha says, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe 
that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So it takes a little bit of time for us to digest that and think that, okay, why is Martha answering this way? You know, I might get to this a little later, okay? But it's not quite a straight answer. In fact, there are two instances of not quite straight answers. Because when Martha says, I believe my brother will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, you know, the expectation of what Jesus is going to say to her. Now, the normal dialogue will go, Jesus said to her, he will be resurrected today. Wow, I mean, that, that's kind of like the normal way the, the, the conversation goes, right? Or, he will, or, or you might say that you don't have to wait until the last day. The resurrection is for him today or something like that, right? You, we think that he will say that. Instead, he says this totally unexpected left hook, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's move on to the next slides because I just want to quickly breeze through the context. So in the, in the remaining verses of 28 to 37, Martha calls for Mary to join her with Jesus. Mary goes to Jesus. All the Jewish guests follow Mary until she meets Jesus. And then Mary says the same thing that Martha says, Lord, if only you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary weeps. The whole crowd weeps. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty eight, 38, Jesus wept. And that is really to remind us that the humanity of Jesus is no less than our humanity. In fact, it is the most perfect humanity. It is a, in all his humanness, even though he knows what is going to happen after this, that he grieved with Martha, he grieved with Mary, and he grieved for his own friend, Lazarus. And then the people wondered among themselves, how come, uh, isn't this the Jesus? Couldn't he have prevented Lazarus from dying? And then we go to verse 38. On the next slide, we're going to see this. Now, by the way, we always think about this. Uh, how come uh, if Jesus is so, so good? Uh, how come he can't do this? How come he can't do that? And this went on all the way until the cross. If he is the son of God, why don't he get himself down from the cross, right? We're familiar with this tone of questioning about why he's not doing some things. But hang on to that. Just hang on to that. Verse 38 onwards, Jesus instructs for the gravestone to be removed. In case you are not familiar, if you are new to all this, their graves were not built downwards into the ground. Their graves were dug sidewards. Usually they were used an already um, 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 exposed cave as a grave. So they would put the body sideways into the cave. They would roll a stone over it. It was the case for Lazarus. It would be the case for Jesus as well eventually now the crowd say Xiao ah, you crazy ah, you want to remove the stone smelly oh four days ready oh it's going to be really bad right the smell and jesus says that that didn't you didn't i tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of god you know i could preach a whole sermon or just this one line because this one line can un unleash all kinds of, of of things as well about seeing the glory of god but don't worry that's not today okay then once they actually do push the stone away jesus calls out lazarus come out 
And it was only when I was transcribing this uh, uh, yesterday that I realized there is no exclamation mark. So I've always heard it when I read my Bible or when I hear it as Lazarus! come out, you know. Um, but yesterday I was looking at it in detail and I realized, hey, wait a minute, there is no, there is no exclamation point, you know. So it's, it's not, then you hear it as Lazarus, come out, you know. And then the dead man walks out, no longer dead, but he comes out alive with his grave clothes all around him as well, but he walks out absolutely alive. I want to show you three things that I want you to see. And it's not just for you to see and then after that, forget. But it's for you to see and for you to go deep into your heart so that you understand every one of us knows that resurrection power is, um, it, it's, 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 it looks like this, okay? And it's there for you every day in your life. Resurrection, number one, resurrection is a person. Everybody say, resurrection is a person. Wow. I didn't see that coming. Resurrection is a person. Number two, resurrection dismantles death. And number three, resurrection is communally life-giving, right? So we'll get into all three, but I want to jump into the first one. Resurrection is a person. We all saw that when Mary said that, oh Lord, I, I, I know, because Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha, was Martha, not Mary, Martha says, Lord, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection at the end of time. At the end, on the last day, that resurrection, he will rise again. I know that, right? And it's as if Martha is saying, Lord, I know maybe in 500 years time that, that my brother will rise. Or maybe in, in, in 700 years time. Or maybe in 2,000 years' time, whatever that day is, maybe 2,000, which takes us till today, by the way, my brother will rise. And we know it's more than 2,000. Maybe she's saying maybe 5,000 years. But at some point in the future, I have a hope that my family will see the resurrection of my brother on the last day. And it's as if Jesus says to her, girl, I'm the resurrection. I'm the resurrection. And your family is standing before the resurrection right now. Right now, you, you are standing before the resurrection right now. That's what it kind of means when he says, I am the resurrection. And it's a very strange way of saying it because as I shared with you a moment ago, you would think he would say that I can resurrect right? I can resurrect your brother. Or maybe you would think he would say, I can, be I can resurrect myself one day. Or I shall resurrect Lazarus. Or I will be resurrected. You know, there is his, the Lazarus resurrection. And then Jesus also saying something about his future resurrection that is to come. Or he might even say, um, I am resurrecting everything in creation. You know, he could have said all these things. When, when Martha said, Lord, I believe that my brother will be resurrected one day, right? Instead, he doesn't say all these things. He says, I am the resurrection. So my friends, for us, when we see resurrection, we think of resurrection as a happening. 
We see resurrection as a phenomenon. We see resurrection as an occurrence, as amazing and unbelievable, hard to believe as, a, as it is, as an occurrence. We still think of it as, an, as some kind of supernatural phenomenon. But it's still just a phenomenon to us. But Jesus says resurrection is not just a phenomenon. It's not just something that happens to you. It is a person. And because resurrection is a person, resurrection moves about. Resurrection speaks to you. Resurrection has a personality. Resurrection has character. Resurrection has agency. It moves. It does things. It travels. It speaks. It it loves, in fact, I shouldn't say it. Resurrection loves, he loves, he moves, he cares, he weeps. Resurrection is that person. Now, I think my Zoom just got cut off. No, my Zoom didn't get cut off, sorry. My, my screen just uh, uh, had, had an interruption, but don't worry about it. All right, so that is, that is essentially um, uh, what is being said here about the resurrection. Now, if you look at the next slide again, uh, the same thing. I actually, actually spent some time thinking about where is the emphasis in I am the resurrection and the life, right? Is it at I am the resurrection? Is the emphasis that I am, uh, in, as in the previous slide, or is the emphasis on the resurrection? You know, I am the resurrection. Because when I think about the resurrection, you know, it's funny, I, 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 was, uh, I was imagining a, a scene from a movie, um, as if I was in that film, right? And, and it scene looks like this, I'm at a party, and then someone comes up to me, and he says that, hey, fellas, I want to introduce you to this friend of mine, and then he brings me through the party and says, hey, hey, bro, this is my friend, Fergus. And then I go like, hey, man, I'm Fergus. What's your name? And then the guy says, resurrection. <laughs> and, and, and then my friend would go, Nala, Jesus, don't be so modest, say it properly. And then he says, okay, okay, I am the resurrection. Wow, right? Imagine meeting someone at a party who introduces himself as, hey, I'm the resurrection, right? That's quite something. But Jesus essentially introduces himself to Martha. I mean, he's not introducing himself, but he's declaring, he's revealing something about himself as the resurrection. About how does he continue to expand on this? He says that anyone who believes in me, whoever believes in me, though he died, this is the nature of befriending the resurrection. This is the nature of what happens when you have access to the resurrection. Is that if you believe in him, though you die, yet you shall live. Which means that there is a sudden death and then there is, a, that there is an overcoming of that death. How? Why? By what method? By what access? By knowing and personally knowing the resurrection. John chapter 17 says this is eternal life, to know him, to know God, the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So what does it mean for resurrection to be a person? It means that, if resurre that resurrection is a person and therefore to obtain resurrection, you obtain it like you would any other person through relationship. Let me say that one more time. 
Resurrection is a person and therefore you obtain resurrection the same way you would any other person. You, 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 you obtain and access people through relationship in the same way you obtain and access resurrection through relationship. So my friends, how do you build relationship? You build relationship by trusting one another, by building, relating, talking, hearing, and exchanging, and over time building trust, and over building of trust, building of belief in each other, and faith in one another. And that's exactly how you befriend the resurrection and the life. That is how it works. So my friends, there is no shortcut to wanting to have a powerful life full of resurrection power, full of renewing power in your life. The, the first step is always to know Jesus and to be known by him. And, be, and because he is a person, the resurrection. So I'm going to move on from this, right? I'm going to move on from this. I want to show you, I want to show you the sequence that, that, that reveals to you that the relationship is so important uh, uh, to accessing re resurrection power. Verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 26, Jesus asks her, do you believe in this? Verse 27, Martha says, Lord, I believe. For now we'll leave the dot, 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 and what her belief is uh, um, aside for a moment. And then verse 28 until 42 is a whole bunch of other things happening. They're traveling in and out. Mark Mary joins them, blah, blah, blah. And it's only at verse 43, so many verses down, okay, that Jesus, having rolled the stone away, says, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. So my friends, I want you to see the sequencing of this. Martha declared her faith first and many movements later, then Lazarus walked out from the grave. So my friends, our world will tell us that seeing is believing. If I don't see, I can't believe. But no, that is not the way of the Christian. The Christian's way is not seeing is believing. The Christian's way is I believe because I know. I believe because I trust. I believe because I am familiar. I believe because my good shepherd, I recognize his voice. I know his voice. That's why Martha's belief wasn't because she saw proof. My friends, Martha had no proof of Lazarus walking out. She trusted Jesus. And I'm not asking you to trust in some fairy in the sky. I'm telling you that Jesus can be known. He can be intimately known. He can be personally known. He can be, he can be experienced through a lifetime of, of engaging with him through the reading of the word, through prayer, through walking with him, through having your decisions being filtered through the gate of Jesus Christ. You know, it, he can be personally befriended. And when you personally know Jesus and you trust in him, 
then the faith arises from you. And that, that's not to say that if you are in a place where you do need something tangible, that Jesus won't meet you where you are. But he could say this um, to Martha because he knew that Martha was already his friend. And because they had that, that foundation of their friendship, Jesus could say, do you believe in this? And she could say, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God, you know, the one who is to come into the world. Very briefly on that non-secular answer. Do you find it weird, by the way, that Jesus asked, do you believe I am the resurrection? And her answer is, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God, Right? Is, it the, is, it, is she answering the question? Is she sidestepping the question? I, I, I kind of feel it is this way. I think that on the spot, I suspect, no, this is not gospel truth, this is just my own wrestling with the text. I suspect that Martha is figuring out and wrestling with the reality that she, Jesus has just said, I am the resurrection. And she's still wrestling with that. It is happening so fast. The conversation is just happening. So she's wrestling with it. But she can affirm what she has already known. And what does Martha already know? Martha says, it's as if she says in brackets, Jesus, Lord, let me think about this new thing about resurrection for a moment. It's kind of like in unspoken brackets. That's my impression of it. But what she says, she does know, she knows for sure. Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. Lord, I believe you are the one who has been sent from the Father, the one who is to come into the world. And then she's going to go off and unpack that. What is the Son of God? What is the one, the Messiah, the one who is to come into the world? And she will end up deriving the same conclusion. The Son of God, the one who has sent from the Father into the world is the resurrection and the life and she will arrive at that conclusion it would not be recorded in the scriptures but i believe that at this point there is a wrestling which is why we see the the, the almost non not non secular answer right he asked am i the resident you believe i'm the resurrection and she kind of talks about something slightly different but my friends the reason why I want to bring this before you is so that you know and you can see that the wrestling is part of your faith journey. And if there are times when you are unsure about something about God, if some days you hear Jesus say something and it's so outlandish to you, it's so big, it's so like, wow, sure, not. Sure, Mo, Jesus, you're so big, you're so grand, you're so king, you know, and you are not really sure whether he is going to be that for you. I want to affirm you and assure you that it is okay to take that and wrestle with it and answer back to Jesus whatever you do know he is. So if he says to you, my son, I'm going to heal you, and you're not sure, you're not sure whether sure or not you're going to heal me, and your answer to him can be something like, Lord, I know you've never let me down. Lord, I know I've gone through hard times and I'm still alive today, thanks to you. And that is not exactly the answer. Yes, Lord, I believe you will heal me, you know, but it is the best you can do. And I want to encourage you not to give voice to your unbelief, but to give voice to the part of you that believes. Because when your belief and your unbelief mingle inside you, you know, give voice 
to the part that is speaking out of faith in him. Amen? Amen? All right, let's move on. We're done with the first point, you know, that resurrection is a person. The next two points, resurrection dismantles death and resurrection is communally life-giving. Second point, resurrection dismantles death. Okay, now, I also spent some time thinking about this and I thought, what is death? I need to define death. I need to have a, be able to grip on death because it's such a normal word in our, uh, in, in our vocabulary um, and it's such a normal part of our, our, our living and dying is a, is a part of life that we don't sometimes stop to think about all the things that cease when death kicks in. So I came up with a, it's, a it, it's not an exhaustive list, it's a little list, um, but death ends in permanent all sorts of things, right? Um, yeah, um, death ends in, um, maybe just one slide before this, uh, uh, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. So there is a defeating and an overcoming of the death. Everyone who lives and believes, lives and believes, right? You live and in, in a living time, you believe you shall never die. So never die. Wow, let's look at this thing, this list that there is, like I said, it's not exhaustive, but death leads to permanent termination. That something about you, your life or whatever is, you're terminated and you are never unterminated. That's what death is, right? And the thing that animates you, the thing that makes you be able to move, to get up, to breathe, to talk, to all this stuff, you are permanently in, in animation. You're permanent, all that stops, you know? And if you, have, if you ever wake up one day and you're really tired because you slept for four hours and you feel really dead, have you feel, felt that way? Like, oh, today I feel so dead, right? Okay, death is that multiplied into infinity, permanent deadness. So the feeling of being dead will be permanent and fully constant. Full, full consummation of deadness, right? Is death, right? It's like, the, it's, it's like the worst possible feeling. If you feel sien, when you feel like like tired, you know, like, oh, such a sien feeling, right? This is the worst possible version of that, right? And then there's permanent breathlessness. And this is not like, oh, she took my breath away. Like, no, that means she killed you, right? Um, uh, but there's permanently no more breath in you. So if you ever felt breathless, like, like you're twan, you know, you cannot breathe and you're like, <sighs> you're gasping for air. And then you reach a point where you're kind of choked and you have no breath, you know, and then death is permanent breathlessness. There's nothing flatlining. And then those are just the physiological things, right? And then death is also permanent separation, which is why most people have a certain fear and taboo about death that because death has this has this bad rap that you cannot even simply talk about it because we fear the unknown we fear the separation and i was just talking to 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 some friends um yesterday um, um and and we we're talking about the hindu buddhist background right uh, um where you're not sure if you if you pass away that maybe you'll be you you will have your reincarnation maybe it will be a hundred 
100 years from now, maybe it'll be 200 years, maybe it'll be 600 years from now, who knows where you will be, what you would be, when it would be, and then maybe your loved ones will, will be reincarnated maybe in three years, maybe your loved ones uh, uh, will be reincarnated in 1,600 years, you know, who knows, right, in that doctrine of reincarnation, uh, maybe as the Buddhists understand it, or maybe as the Hindus understand it, it's not quite the same, one is reincarnation, one is rebirth, you know, um, but, but in that worldview, um, there is a sense of, of even though we're all going to supposedly come back in some other life form, that there is permanent separation, that you and I will never cross paths again, that we will be from here on, by chance, we, we live together as friends, as husband and wife, as, as family, as neighbours, and then one day we'll all separate and, and, and into the aeons and millennia, we will be separated. Now, my friends, I don't know about your friends who come from that kind of worldview, that kind of background, or for that matter, if you, if you, if you come from a different background, then your fear will be that in your grave, then some angel will come before you and start quizzing you uh, about all the key things about, about what happened in your life, and either you pass through or you don't, you know, that kind of thing. Now, my friends, there is a fear of death that grips so many people, I won't say everybody, you know, I won't say a lot, but fear of death grips people because it's unknown. Because the fear is that we go into utter darkness, eternal darkness, eternal loneliness forever and separation from one another. But my friends, we have to enter the reality that when you come to befriend Jesus, you befriend the resurrection. And what resurrection does is that it dismantles. It's like the definition of death is that there is a permanence in term termination. And then he takes that definition. And when he says that I, if you die, you don't really die, but you shall live. You shall truly live. And this definition starts to rattle. It starts to shake. It starts to loosen and it falls apart. It collapses on itself. If you like language, then I want you to be able to see that the definition of death completely crumbles and falls apart. It no longer can hold because death does not have a permanence about it anymore. That ceases to have that. When you have the resurrection, you have life, you have abundant life, you have forever life, you have everlasting life, and death has no meaning. It's almost as if as a word in the dictionary, it has been undone. And death as a notion in your life is also undone, my friends, for the Christian. We, you and I, we do not have such a thing as a true form of death. We must know this because when you met Jesus, whether you met him on the road to Damascus, whether you met him on the pages of your Bible, whether you met him in the Kopitiam when your friend shared Jesus to you, the day you met Jesus and you knew him and you received him as your friend, as your lover, as your, as your buddy, as the Lord over your life, as the savior of your soul, on that day, resurrection power came into you and death became a non-issue and a non-entity for you. And what that means is that bodily, we will all pass on. 
but where we will bodily pass on just like the neighbours around us every day, but where our neighbours pass on, their death leads to death and permanent termination. Our death kicks us into a forever living that is that, that you will not access if you don't bodily die. Do, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because I know it's not immediately easy to understand if you're new to this faith, but our bodily death triggers eternal life. And it does something that if you don't bodily die, you cannot trigger it. Thank goodness we will all bodily die and that will trigger us into eternal life, my friends. If someone offered you this bodily life forever, don't take it. It's not as good as dying now and then entering into forever life with Jesus. That's what it means when you befriend, I am the resurrection. And what it also means for Jesus to say, I am the resurrection, which I didn't manage to share just now, is that he is the definitive resurrection. He is not just resurrection. He is the resurrection. And if you like language, I want to help you to see this. If you were to say, I am love, or if you were to say, God is love, you know, that's another strange one, right? God is love. For if, if he says, I am love, what it means is that I embody love. Everything about me reveals love. Everything about me exudes love. That's what it means when grammatically you say, I am love, or God is love. But what does it mean when you add the the into it? I am the resurrection. It's not just I'm resurrection. If I'm resurrection, it means that I embody resurrection. But when he says, I am the resurrection, it means that there is one particular resurrection, which is the definitive, most important resurrection from which all other resurrections happen. In other words, if you ever see a resurrection and you look at its roots and you drill down all the way through its roots to the very bottom and whatever it is drawing its power from it's Jesus. Anything that does not draw its resurrecting power from Jesus is not resurrection because Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And every other resurrection now comes under the resurrection, which means that maybe you may have seen something that looks like resurrection, but it is born to die another day. As James Bond says, right? So you live to die another day. Or you're, even re, re, you're born again to die another day, maybe. But you know what, my friends? That is not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is resurrected and he says, I am that resurrection and it goes down and when you touch that 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 power you live forever you don't just bounce back so you can bounce back down again you bounce back forever which leads me to my next point right and this with this i'm gonna close i really am gonna close right my friends what's this oh yeah yeah death swallowed up in victory oh death where is your sting oh death where is, oh grave, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting, right? First Corinthians 15. Think about this. Go home and, not go home, you're already home. Uh, uh, after this, go into, into First Corinthians 15 and read it. 
and really get a sense that death no longer has a power over you. My last point is that resurrection is communally life-giving. It gives life not just to you, it gives life to everybody around you. Now, we've all heard this before, that the Christian life is personal, the Christian walk is personal, but it's not private. Let me say that again. The Christian walk is personal, it involves your very person. It involves your walk, your direct face-to-face, soul-to-soul, body-to-body, life-to-life with Jesus. It is personal, but it's not private. It's not private in the sense that it is, oh, my faith is my, my private issue. Don't ask me about, no. No, because Jesus says that when you come into faith in Him, you come together as a body. And as you come together as a body, the hands influence the feet, the feet and hands influence the shoulders and that influences your the, the, the rest of the body, the neck, every single thing. We are all woven together in an inseparable mesh called the body, the kepalakan Tuhan, headed by Jesus. God is the head, we are his body. So we are all connected, which means, my friends, that your resurrection is not just going to be a private resurrection. It's not just going to be your own personal resurrection. It's going to have life-giving power to everybody around you. And I want to show you this because it is absolutely true. Lazarus' resurrection. Let's look at that now in the Bible verse on your screen. In John 12, that's one chapter after uh, Jesus raised John from the dead, when the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was dead, there being in the Martha Mary Lazarus house. Okay, they were having a dinner there, uh, probably to celebrate the life, the, the coming back to life of, of Lazarus, thanksgiving to Jesus, something like that. That's the occasion where Mary uh, uh, um, um, anointed Jesus' feet. So what happens here? When the large crowds learned that Jesus was there, then they thronged to that place, right? Um, they came not on account of Jesus. They didn't come so much on account of Jesus, but they all came went to see this guy who came back from the dead. Wow, where is this guy? Where is this Lazarus? You know? So they all came to see Lazarus, okay? Whom he had raised from the dead. And then the chief priests, right? The chief priests who were all jealous that Jesus was what was getting all the attention, who got so envious that Jesus had, had, had fame, had power, had attraction, had pull that they themselves craved for. That's what the thief craves for. They crave for the sheep. They crave for the exploiting of the sheep for their own fame, right? That's what the thief does, right? So here, you can read the chief priest as the thief priest, right? So the thief priest, right, made plans to put Lazarus to death. Hey, hello, uncle. Fellow just came back to life. You want to try kill him? Huh? You're not scared. Huh? You're stupid, is it? You know? But never mind. Why? Because on account of him, Many of the Jews were going away believing in Jesus. In other words, because Lazarus, one guy, came back alive, other people started to believe in Jesus. And in so doing, they also come to access the resurrection and the life. In so doing, they also come to know Jesus and obtain and access eternal life and a cheating of death, a defeat of that forever termination. It's happening to more people. One guy died. Many people live. 
Jesus will be the ultimate example of one guy died, many people live. And here, Lazarus, one guy died, more people live. Right? And then it is later in John, literally three paragraphs later, that you see verse 24 on the right-hand side of your screen, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. For whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. My friends, if you are only talking about agriculture, you wouldn't insert the word and dies. You would say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, it remains alone. That's what you would say, right? Unless the, Again, right? His language is so interesting because he's pointing you in the right direction. Unless a wheat, grain of wheat falls into the ground, it's alone. But if the grain of wheat falls into the ground, then... More, more, more shoots of wheat will come up. Lah. More ears of grain will come up. Lah. You know, that's, that's the way you would normally say. But Jesus is not giving an agricultural coaching lesson. He is saying that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. In other words, he's saying that unless all of us, any one of us, falls and dies, we remain alone. That's why you don't want to have your earthly life forever because you'll remain alone. You'll all pass on and you'll be alone, right? Unless you go down and die, you're alone. But if you go down and die, that earthly death, that human death, then you will bear much fruit. More will spring up. More will rise up. My friends, do you know that this, exactly this happened for the early church? The early church in Rome, the early church in Jerusalem, the early church in Antioch, in all of these cities, they were persecuted, they were thrown and fed to the lions, they were thrown and fed to the dogs, they were burnt by Nero to be lampstands, so that they became fuel for Nero's garden parties. So many Christians died. And you would think that, that this scare tactic would, would make more and more people abandon the faith of following this Jesus, but quite the opposite. The more Christians were martyred by the evil empire of Rome, the more it happened, the more people said, what is this faith? And who is their God that they were willing to lay their lives down for? I like that. I'll have that. And more and more people came to the faith during that season. Of the, of the persecution of Rome. So my friends, Revelation study by Pastor Chiu is starting soon, right? In, in May, right? Are you pre-trip? Are you mid-trip? Are you post-trip? You know, friends, you know what? My word for you is prepare like a trip. I, it doesn't matter what you believe. Prepare like a trip. You know what? You want to know why? Because there is no gains in preparing like pre-trip. If you think that we're all going to be whisked away and we're going to escape tribulation, there's no gain. You gain nothing from preparing yourself like that. But if you prepare yourself, that persecution will come, that suffering will come, but suffering and persecution will bring about eternal life and a, and a living will come out of it that will, that, that will be so powerful. Maybe that's how we should prepare for living. So that every day, 
Trip, no trip, whatever it is, we are prepared for persecution because persecution leads to life and eternal life, not just for ourselves, for everybody around us. My friends, sorry, so excited, I just banged my music stand. My friends, Paul says, and I'm going to close now, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I believe that new life springs forth in soil where Christians living is for Christ and a Christian's dying is great gain. In that kind of ecosystem, in that kind of soil, when a Christian falls after living his whole life for Christ, saying that dying is even better because I go to Christ. When a Christian falls like that, new life, new life, new life, new life, new life. Why? Because all of them could count as their friend, the resurrection and the life. Death cannot hold you. The veil tore before you. Jesus, you've silenced the boast of sin and grief. Many of you are struggling with the fear of death. In Jesus' name, I break it. In the name of the resurrection and the life, I break your fear of death. You have, you, have not, you, have, you have not been raised back to life to fall back into the fear and the fear of death and the fear of slavery to sin. You have been raised back to life with sonship that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you cry, Abba, Father, resurrection, life. Friends, if any of you are grieving a death, it may be a recent one, it may be an old one, it may be 10, 15, 20 years old already, but you are still grieving that death in your heart. I want you to know that right now, the power of the resurrection of Jesus is available for you and that, and that in the same way that death could meet the people we love and we grieve and Jesus weeps with you. He weeps with you and he says, come to me, I will comfort you. Come to me, I will wipe away every tear. That one day when you come to the resurrection and the life, I will wipe away every tear from your eye. And no longer will you grieve. Friends, if you are feeling a, a sense of uncertainty about the future, I want you to know that there is one certain thing, is that those of us who are in Christ will come and enjoy everlasting power, future, living, victory and triumph in Jesus Christ at the end of the day. But today, He stands before you. The resurrection and the life beckons you to friendship, beckons you to relationship, beckons you into a walk and a journey with him all the days of your life. Father, we thank you. And I ask, Lord God, that you be with every single one of us so that our lives will come alive again, Lord God. And I pray, Father God, that in every area of deadness, whether it is a workplace deadness, a business deadness, a relationship deadness, a family deadness, a financial dead end, in Jesus' name, resurrection power, Come upon all of my friends and all of my family here, Lord God. Resurrection power, come upon everyone and bring back to life our bangkitkan semula setiap situasi dalam hidup kami. In Jesus' name, we surrender. In Jesus' name, we come. In Jesus' name, we hold your hand. In Jesus' name, we say, Amen.